0: No, I can listen to those guys all day. In fact, I have listened to those guys all day. Three extremely talented Canadian musicians with a unique Canadian indie rock sound. You should all check out the Rural Alberta Advantage who provide us our intro music. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and this is the 50 Years Ago in Hockey Podcast, brought to you weekly by Newspapers.com, the world's largest online archive of historical newspapers, and by the Breakwall Brewing Company, purveyors of fine craft beers and wonderful pub food located in beautiful downtown Port Colvern, Ontario. This week's show will be mainly concerned with what was undoubtedly the biggest story of the 1969 hockey season and the story that obviously has the most impact on the evolution of the National Hockey League, namely the expansion of the loop to 14 teams with the announcement of the admission to the NHL fraternity of the cities of Buffalo, New York and Vancouver, British Columbia. So, most of our stories this week will focus on this news. Lots of angles to it, and some of those include the actual announcement by the league uh, and how it was covered around the hockey media world. We'll look at how expansion will affect the hunt for big league talent by the now 14 NHL clubs. There will be lots of speculation on who will run the hockey operations in Buffalo and Vancouver, and we'll get the views on that from both of those two cities. Everybody was wondering, what are the names of the two teams? It was pretty simple in one case, completely up in the air in the other. We were looking at the uh, impact of NHL alignment this week, with the Chicago Blackhawks moving to the expansion Western Division and the two new teams being plopped right in the East with all the established teams. Well, how would that impact the game and the success of relative teams? We'll also have our regular news and notes. And keeping up with the expansion theme this week, we have a very special hockey personality that we profile this time around. Now, this week's episode is going to be a really special one for me, as I remember everything we report on here actually taking place 50 years ago. As you probably figured out by now if you're a regular listener, I was a hockey nerd at a really, really young age, and one of the great frustrations of my life was being unable to actually attend live NHL games because we were just too far away from Toronto, and Being a family of rather modest means, we just couldn't get all the way to the big city for the games. We couldn't afford the trips most of the time. Of course, tickets to the Maple Leaf Gardens were not easy to come by in those days as well. Now, there was a local bus company operated by a fellow named Harry Farr, and he would run excursions a couple of times a year, usually for Wednesday night games, and if I'd saved up enough money, I and a couple of friends, or with my dad, we would make that trip. So, when news that Buffalo would in fact get an NHL team, that was huge for me and my hockey-loving buddies. Now, at this time, I was 18 years old, a high school student, and a member of the Lowbanks Volunteer Fire Department. My dad was the chief of that esteemed organization. In fact, he was chief for over 32 years. Lowbanks is a small hamlet located on the shores of Lake Erie, roughly halfway between Port Colvern and Dunville, Ontario. Now we weren't a big group of guys, maybe 15 or 20, but we were really close-knit and we were almost all huge hockey fans. We met for practices every Wednesday evening at the local fire hall where my dad might lead a training session. And then we'd inspect and make sure all our equipment was clean, shiny, and ready for action. We usually finished out our formal practice sessions in time to catch the Wednesday night hockey games during the season. Now we funded most of our activities, purchased most of our equipment with whatever monies the local township council could ap- appropriate for us, and by events staged to raise the rest of the cash. Our two biggest events of this type during the year were the Christmas turkey raffle, usually on the Saturday of the last week of November, and our summer Lake Erie perch fish fries. And if you lived in that area during the nineteen fifties and sixties, you know they were legendary. I miss those days so much. So when the news hockey was going to be barely 30 miles away, one of the guys suggested we should get to work and raise money or put it in ourselves to buy four seasons tickets for the new Buffalo Hockey Club. Nobody said no. Everybody agreed, and we all knew we'd have to get to work. And that's what we did. Almost everybody made a personal donation. We had a couple of raffles. Uh, I couldn't think my dad enough for t- paying for both of us for our share of the tickets. As soon as the Buffalo franchise announcement was made, which we're talking about this week, we were put on the list of those committing to buying tickets. We were somewhere within the first hundred people who made that commitment, and that meant we were able to attend Memorial Auditorium and handpick our four seats. We drew up a schedule each year holding something like a fantasy draft as soon as the NHL schedule was announced. So we all had an equal number of opportunities to get to the games we wanted, and we all got equal chances to see the big games and the big teams. Now, life gets in the way of these fun things from time to time, and eventually the Low Banks Fire Department, they gave up our tickets. I was no longer a member at that time. Uh, The tickets became more expensive, uh, one thing that impacted that was after the first couple of seasons, our lower blues seats were suddenly converted to upper reds, and that boosted the price significantly. We still held them for quite a while after that. But eventually, the face of the department changed. Guys like me and other of the younger members, we went away to school or just moved out of the village, and we did finally give up the tickets, but those first few years of expansion were a gl- glorious, glorious time for this young hockey nerd, and I've always been thankful to the Buffalo Sabers for the enjoyment I was given over those years. I've always had my Maple Leafs as my number one team, but I always have a large, large loving spot in my heart for the Buffalo Sabers. So let's take a look at the reporting that went on on December 2nd around this expansion announcement. That was the day, of course, that Buffalo and Vancouver's NHL existences finally began. But as the day dawned, it seemed that there were conflicting reports about exactly what was and what was about to take place. Pat Curran in the Montreal Gazette said on the early morning edition that Clarence Campbell had been preparing the meeting for the Board of Governors, but that it did not take place on Monday as had been planned. Uh, Curran said that Campbell had had a busy few days and Monday was supposed to be the deadline for the franchise applications, at which time the applicants would meet with the governors and their uh, applications would be reviewed. Now Curran reports that that meeting did not take place. And the reason for that was because some of the governors couldn't make it to New York on time. Now, that is really an interesting statement. This was not a surprise meeting. It was not an impromptu uh, scheduled meeting. This has been planned for months. And if a uh, member of the Board of Governors couldn't make it in time. That's poor planning, lack of interest, or a combination of the both. But this may not have completely been the case. Charlie Barton of the Buffalo Courier Express filed this report that has just a little bit different uh, element to it. Now, Charlie's report in the uh, Buffalo Courier Express, that's the uh, Buffalo Morning Daily, and probably hit the streets about the same time as the Gazette, said that sometime today, that Clarence Campbell would officially declare Buffalo and Vancouver members of the National Hockey League. Charlie talked about how Clarence Campbell had unofficially said that those two cities would be admitted, but he talked about a meeting that did take place the previous day in New York. Barton reported that representatives from Buffalo and Vancouver did appear before the league's finance and expansion committees, but for some inexplicable reason, the NHL office in New York denied any such meetings were held. Now, the Curry Express also learned that Robert O. Suarez, attorney for the Buffalo group headed by Seymour H. Knox III and his brother Northrop, was the Buffalo representative in the meeting. Mr. Knox himself was delayed by adverse flying conditions in Buffalo, and that's not an unusual occurrence. He did arrive in New York late uh, Monday afternoon, but the meeting was already over. Joe Crozier, who is the general manager coach of the Western Hockey League Vancouver Canucks, was also in New York for the meeting. Officials of Metacor, the Minneapolis-based firm associated with the Canucks and in obtaining the NHL franchise for Western Canada, were also present. Charlie didn't have any of the uh, guts of the meeting that took place, but he said that everything seemed to be well in hand. Right away, Barton was uh, speculating on who might work for the two teams. Charlie, once again, is mentioning... Toronto, former Toronto Maple Leafs general manager coach Punch Imlach uh, in connection with the Buffalo franchise. Now, he spoke to, to Mr. Knox, who said that we must wait until we're officially in and we haven't been able to talk to anyone because we might have been charged with tampering with people working or being paid by other clubs. One might remember that Punch Imlach is not working for any other team in the NHL He turned down some job offers, including a very good one from Minnesota, because the Maple Leafs are still paying him. I would think the Buffalo operation would have to get permission from Stafford Smythe to talk to a person who's still technically on their payroll. Now, Barton went on to say that now engaged in newspaper, radio, and TV work, Imlac also has been doing scouting for Vancouver's Western Hockey League team this season, and uh, he's known to have a substantial interest in the Vancouver's Western Hockey League club. But Barton said there were unconfirmed reports that Imlac had sold his interest in the Canucks for a whopping $250,000, and that was later confirmed to be true. But the story surrounding that transaction is just as wild as well. Now Seymour Knox III said he's had inquiries from a number of hockey people seeking employment but said that there hadn't been any communication with Punch up to this point in time. And of course, the announcement did come down late in the afternoon on the 2nd of December. The announcement by the NHL was, of course, too late for any of the Daily Papers press times and so it really wasn't carried in any of the newspapers until the following day. But one news outlet did have the news, and uh, it was CBC outlet, CBLT-TV in Toronto, and their uh, sports anchor, Don Chevrier, broke the story, and we have a bit of that clip right here.
1: Well, Vancouver is moving east, and Chicago is heading west as the National Hockey League took on two new members late this afternoon. Vancouver and Buffalo were given conditional franchises for the modest fee of $6 million apiece. The conditions are, in the case of Vancouver, completion of a deal to purchase the Canucks of the Western leg and a satisfactory lease for the Vancouver Coliseum. The deadline there is December 20th. Buffalo's condition concerns improvements on the arena there to bring it up to at least 15,000 seating capacity for the beginning of next season. Seymour Knox will operate the Buffalo franchise after he sells his 20% interest on the Oakland Seals. Vancouver owners are Metacore, a company based in Minnesota. Chicago Blackhawks will play on the western side of the NHL next year. And the two new teams, Buffalo and Vancouver, will both become members of the Eastern Division. That means that three of the seven Eastern teams will be Canadian cities, Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver. They'll play a 78-game schedule beginning in the fall. Vancouver has a decided edge over Buffalo when it comes to playing talent. The Vancouver Canucks own a total of 51 players on their own and their affiliate in Rochester. New York Rangers own all but three players currently with the Buffalo team in the American League. Each of the new teams will be allowed to claim 18 players and two goalies at the NHL draft meeting in June. For many of the existing teams, Toronto, for example, perhaps the best example, the loss of as many as four players in the draft could be very costly indeed. The Leafs are so thin right now, they're hard-pressed to offer full value for the price of the seat in Maple Leaf Gardens.
0: So that was the news on December 2nd, and the daily newspapers around North America picked it up The very next morning, here's how the Globe and Mail brought out the story by esteemed hockey writer Dan Proudfoot. His story begins, Vancouver and Buffalo received National Hockey League franchises yesterday conditionally after Tom Scallon and Seymour Knox, presidents of the respective entries, appeared before a meeting of the NHL Board of Governors. The word conditional may worry Vancouver hockey fans who already have struggled along an epic journey that has aimed for the NHL since 1965, but has carried them through mountains of doubt and oceans of dashed hopes. Scallon had no worries about the conditions, though. William Wirtz, the NHL governor from Chicago and chairman of the league's Expansion and Finance Committee, explained in addition to various routine legal and technical conditions, the granting of the Vancouver franchise is contingent on the completion of the following by December twentieth, nineteen 1969. Condition one, the acquisition by Medicore, Scallons Company, of the Northwest Sports Enterprises, which owns both the Vancouver Canucks of the Western Hockey League and the American Hockey League's Rochester Americans. And final execution of a satisfactory lease with the Pacific Coliseum, the arena which is owned by the Pacific National Exhibition. Scallon said all negotiations had been completed with the PNE and the only remaining requirement for completion of the agreement between himself and the exhibition had been admission to the league. So that looks like a done deal at that point. There's no doubt about Scallon's ability to buy Northwest Sports Enterprises. Scallon explained yesterday how he had been approached by some of the league governors and asked to consider the Vancouver situation. MediCorps, Scallon explained, is short for Medical Investment Corporation, which 13 doctors formed in 1957. Its business was medical equipment leasing. Scallon explained that in 1960, I bought out the doctors and about four years ago, I decided to get involved in entertainment in a big way. Metacor bought the Ice Follies. It tried to buy the Toronto Beliefs a couple years ago, but Staff Smythe didn't want to sell, and we couldn't come to terms. Couldn't come to terms. The terms were for a 60% ownership stake. They would have to pay $16 million. Scallon explained that we're in advertising. Yes, we handle all of the Broadway shows and Madison Square Garden and the Metropolitan Opera. Vancouver and Buffalo will play next season in a division with Toronto, Montreal, New York, Boston, and Detroit. So Vancouver, as Don Chevrier said in that uh, audio clip, does move east. Chicago moves into the division with the expansion teams admitted in 1967. Included in the expansion plan previously announced is a new playoff setup in which the first four teams in each division will compete among themselves to decide each division's semifinalists. Then we have a crossover. The semifinals will place division against division with the winners meeting in series leading up to the Stanley Cup. Wirtz went on to talk about Buffalo. The granting of the Buffalo franchise is contingent on the formal approval by Buffalo civic authorities to increase by 1970-71 season the seating capacity of War Memorial Auditorium to not less than 15,000 seats plus other improvements. The Buffalo Group, which includes minor investors besides the Knox Brothers, has purchased the Buffalo Bison hockey team of the American Hockey League the AHL franchise will be moved to another city to be used as a farm team for the Buffalo NHL Club. Now Seymour Knox said, we only get three players off the Bisons, Jerry Willette, Dennis Cassian, and Guy Trottier. Vancouver has 54 players already, so they're getting a little head start on us. The New York Rangers own the remainder of the teams now with the Buffalo AHL team. The Knox brothers Presently own 20% of the Oakland Seals, and Seymour said we must sell our shares, but no deadline's been set for that sale. The other shareholders have first right of purchase, of course. We feel right on schedule for long-range growth of the National Hockey League, said William M. Jennings, chairman of the Board of Governors. Plans include future addition of more cities in North America and major hockey centers around the world. President Clarence Campbell spoke further on the matter. Europe's always going to be a great possibility because of the tremendous interest there. The problem is that many of the countries involved don't believe in the free enterprise system. He's referring, of course, to Russia and Czechoslovakia. What may develop is a third division in Europe with a world championship coming from competition among the division winners. I think it's important that this sort of setup be formulated as soon as possible. Well, it's uh, 50 years later and we're no closer to an international league than we were back then. Now, as far as who might work for these teams... Uh, Charlie Barton speculated on that, and so does the Globe and Mail. George Punch Imlach, the former Toronto Maple Leaf coach and general manager, who has long been rumored to have financial involvement in that Vancouver hockey situation, will not have any dollars in the Medicore controlled team, Scallon said. Scallon confirmed, however, he had talked with Imlach. Nothing much has been said about that, Scallon said, because we didn't think it was appropriate to talk to anyone about our general manager's until we had the franchise. Now, an interesting story developed. We found out that the whole deal in Vancouver was nearly scuttled when Scallan and the Metacor folks tried to buy Imlac's stock. Imlac asked for and held out for $250,000, which apparently was far more Then Scallon was led, he would ask when the deal first was discussed. But Imlac stood fast and took what he could get and he got 250,000. This caused the other directors of the Vancouver franchise to take a little less to satisfy Scallon and make the deal go through. Now, both Tom Scallon and Seymour Knox are one-time hockey players. One time, a long time ago, that is. Scallon said, I played goal. Want to see my scar? Right here, high on top of the forehead. Scallon was, when he played, the only American on the University of Denver hockey team. The rest of the players on that team were all Canadians on scholarships. Knox, who competed last weekend in an international squash tournament, last played hockey in prep school when he was a lightweight center. Scallon's $6 million will be paid in Canadian funds. Yeah, he laughed. We're getting a little knockoff that way. The Canadian dollar, slightly less than the American dollar these days. Stafford Smythe, the Leaf governor, was asked if his attitude regarding Buffalo and television had changed since the extension process that took place in 1967. You may remember it was at that time uh, Stafford Smythe blocked the Buffalo franchise from coming into the NHL. Smythe says not really. It was a matter of having no other cities to choose from for this expansion. If another city had been available in another area, it would have been the choice instead of Buffalo. There was one other formal applicant for a franchise, Campbell said, but he would not reveal the applicant's name or the city in which he's located. His interest is in future expansion, really. He wishes to remain anonymous. He came forward at this time to establish his interest in our future expansion. There's another matter that the Canucks have to take care of before they end up uh, officially being given the franchise. It's the matter of indemnification to the Western Hockey League. The president of the uh, WHL said that all of the conditions required to the switch the Vancouver to the NHL have not been met. Gene Kanesiewicz said the Vancouver team had not paid the required indemnity of $1.2 million to the WHL, and nothing can be done about it until it's paid. Like the WHL is going to stop the NHL from going into Vancouver? That'd probably end up in the court's the Canucks will start play next year. No one doubts that. Now, Knessowicz said he did not know all the conditions that must be met before Vancouver and Buffalo can enter the NHL, but indemnity must be paid to the minor leagues they are leaving. Knessowicz said he would meet with the present owners of the Canucks next week to discuss the payment of the indemnity. The indemnification fee was established by the WHL board, of Governors on October 10th, 1967. In the coming days, Reports were all over North America about who might run the two teams. Most of the stories centered on a combination of Joe Crozier and Punch Himlack taking the management and coaching positions in Vancouver. Despite the fact that it was uh, rumored that Tom Scallon, the president of Metacor, had become very upset with Himlack during their negotiations for the sale of the stock, He did say he was going to travel to Toronto, sit down with Imlac, and have a long, probably hours talk about him taking a position with the Canucks. Scallon said, I have a very high regard for Punch's ability. I think he's a fine hockey man. But he did say he had not yet discussed the position formally with Imlac a couple days after the expansion announcement. Seymour Knox the third head of the Buffalo Club, also said he had not discussed hiring a manager of coach, but he was going to be doing so quite quickly. He did admit that he favored a team with a young look. I don't know whether that would mean that Imlac would be a candidate in Buffalo or not. Now, the speculation continued on all fronts. Denny Boyd, the popular Vancouver hockey columnist, put it this way. One way or another, it has to be Joe Crozier and Punch Imlac running as an entry in the silks of the Vancouver Canucks. The question at the moment was, who is going to be number one and who's going to be 1A? First of all, you can take it for gospel that it will be both or neither of Imlac and Crozier. The two have a Damien and Pythias relationship that goes back through a lot of years, fat years and lean years, and it has endured. When the MediCorps people, who now own the Canucks, were holding informal discussions with Imlac about his possible future with the Canuck big league team, Punch made it quite clear that he would return to the NHL only on a partnership basis with Joe Crozier, working together as they have before. Uh, Boyd went on to say that he believes that Crozier and Imlac would be the finest combination to come along since the famous firm of pork and beans. Boyd thinks that Crozier will end up being the general manager and Imlac would go behind the bench. He just feels that Crozier's uh, temperament is better suited in the office suite while Punch is a scheming bench boss, the best that's out there. Boyd went on to say as he closed out his uh, rationale for these two taking over the team, if I seem to have finally come to the conclusion in this tangled trail of words, it is this. Leave Crozier upstairs in that swivel chair, happy among his telephones, put Imlac down on the bench where he can cuss and cajole. Wouldn't surprise me if that combination won a Stanley Cup in four short years. this expansion announcement meant a lot of things to a lot of people, but to the average fan, everybody started to ask one simple question. Where are they going to get the players? Well, this is a good question. We'll try to explain how the uh, stocking of the new teams is going to work. The expansion draft will get the teams 20 players, two goaltenders, 18 skaters. Now in 1967, The existing six teams were allowed to protect only one goalie and 11 other players, losing their 12th and filling with their 13th, and so on down the line. In this expansion draft, the 12 teams will be able to protect two goaltenders and 15 skaters. Vancouver and Buffalo will decide by lot which has the first choice in the expansion draft. That's according to Brian O'Neill the NHL Director of Administration. In effect, as a result of this draft, the two new coming teams could each wind up with two third-rate goaltenders and six players whose names are posted 16th on the rosters of the 12 established teams. The dozen then fill and protect their 17th player. So then the 18th and 20th man on each roster will be available. Each new club will also get two players listed 22nd among the players on the current clubs. In addition, first-year professionals and unsigned amateur draft choices under the age of 22 will be exempt from the draft. So somebody like, say, Bob Orr might not be available this time. Following the expansion draft, the two new teams will participate fully in the Universal Amateur Draft receiving the first two picks. The order of their selection will be determined by a lottery method of which will be decided on the day of the draft. This will be the first amateur draft in National Hockey League history in which all of the world's 20-year-old players will available will be available for selection. Now the first round choices of the two new teams must be retained by them for at least three playing seasons thus disposing of the former practice of trading on the basis of future draft choices. In addition the existing teams will concede to the two new clubs all draft choices in the 1970 interleague draft. Now that's the draft in which the NHL can draft players from the American Hockey League and the Western Hockey League. Vancouver, now a member of the Western Hockey League, will have its interleague draft choices exercised by Buffalo to compensate for Vancouver's existing ownership of players in that city and at Rochester of the American Hockey League. While Vancouver already has a good nucleus of players with the WHL Canucks and AHL Americans, the Buffalo group, which will likely take over that city's AHL Bisons, has only three or four players. The other players at New York or at Buffalo, as we mentioned, are owned by the New York Rangers. Now, a few years ago, I had a chance to sit down with Scotty Bowman, and talk about the 1967 NHL expansion. I haven't had a chance to catch up with Scotty on the 1970 expansion, but Bob Brogue, that post-dispatch sports editor in St. Louis, has come through for us again. Bob gives a lot of time to hockey, as I've said in the past, and he did quite an interview with Scotty Bowman right after the announcement of NHL expansion for 1970-71. This is uh Bob's interview, or at least parts of it with Scotty, and, and Scotty gives some pretty good insight into exactly uh how he felt everybody's affected by this uh this move to 14 teams. Now the question of what impact that the expansion would have on the blues was the first that was put to Scotty by Mr. Brogue, and here's what Scotty had to say. Financially, we can't lose. But artistically, I don't know. Scotty was referring, of course, to how well the Blues would do with the uh, realignment of the National Hockey League that would bring Chicago to the Western Division with the Blues. Scotty said the Blackhawks are playing better hockey. They've changed their game from taking the big shot to playing sounder defensively. Subconsciously, when you've got a Bobby Hull, everyone seems to go for points. But when you don't win that way, it's time to change style, and the Blackhawks have done that. Bowman said he was concerned mostly looking ahead to Chicago's transfer to the West Division, even over his own team's failure to win more regularly against the East. Scotty said, I know I preach the importance of winning in our own division, because every time we beat a team in the West, it's worth four points in effect. But our record against the East is isn't appreciably better than any other club in the West. And in fact, Minnesota right now has done better than we have against the established division. We're 44-9-6 and six against our own division from the beginning of last season, counting the playoffs and up to the moment. But this year, for instance, Minnesota has picked up 10 points against the East And we've only gained seven. I don't know whether it's just a hex we got over clubs in our division, but we do realistically have to face the fact that Chicago, or probably any other Eastern team, would be a greater threat than we've known in our own division in our existence. Now, Scotty said that the Blues would have been willing to move to the Eastern division for the good of the league. Scotty said the Solomons would move into the rougher East division for the good of the game, but we felt we'd have to have some kind of break in the amateur draft. Other teams that came into being at the same time the Blues did wanted additional monetary concessions before they would consider moving into the East so that Vancouver and Buffalo could join the newer division. The older clubs wouldn't have had it that way, he said devilishly. By shifting Chicago into our division, They're guaranteeing the Blackhawks a playoff berth and they know that four of the remaining five in the East Division should beat Vancouver and Buffalo hands down. I still think Vancouver and Buffalo are going to be so far behind that the patience and loyalty of the fans will be strained considerably before either of them can hope to compete in the East Division. The solution... Other than for a better deal in distribution of talent, Bowman said, would be the creation of three 16 divisions when, as suggested by NHL President Clarence Campbell, four more franchises are added in about three years to give the NHL 18 members. Then, says Scotty, Vancouver and Buffalo could move into a division with the new members and be favored to win. For the dramatic impact of a satellite television, I believe we'll have a fourth six-team division in Europe. From what I've seen, and I've seen them all, Russia, Czechoslovakia, Sweden, and maybe Germany could field a team, each capable of competing in the NHL. Now, Scotty talked about the t- the talent that's going to be available for each of the new teams. He says, if you're weak defensively, you're really in trouble. The general formula last time was to protect four defensemen, seven forwards. Now it'll be, say, six defensemen, nine forwards. Where would we have been if we hadn't been able to get Glenn Hall to play goal that first season and then picked up Al Arbor as an extra defenseman Toronto didn't feel it could afford to protect? Although sympathetic to the two new league members, the Blues coach and GM said he envied them in their first picks guaranteed in next summer's so-called Universal Amateur Draft. Even though we're only in the West Division team that hasn't bartered away one or more first-round amateur draft choices for the next few years, we're still far behind Montreal and Boston in young talent under contract, Bowman said. I certainly would like to get a crack at that Gilbert Perot. Now, I suspect Montreal could do what it did before offer a new team additional talent if it didn't take the top amateur and the Canadians could then use L.A.'s first-round pick or one of the other first-round draft choices to take parole. Boston, with a lot of talent to offer, and with a storehouse of first-round draft choices, might make the same kind of deal. So it's not a slam dunk that uh, Gilbert Perot will end up in Buffalo or Vancouver. Still, Scotty Bowman says thoughtfully, I don't know that it's fair to tell Vancouver or Buffalo if either did draft parole that he couldn't be traded for three years. I don't see pro football telling the Buffalo Bills that they could get an offer from the L.A. Rams or three or four great players that they couldn't trade O.J. Simpson. Now, here's a story out of Rochester, New York. Hans Tanner of the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle provides us with an American Hockey League point of view, not so much of this expansion, but of a chance lost by the American and Western Hockey Leagues to become hockey's premier major league. That's right. They really had a plan to threaten the National Hockey League back in the early 1960s, but they never pulled it off. Now, what happened was the AHL and WHL owners had been talking about a merger for years, knowing that spanning coast-to-coast of the North American continent would lead to a major television contract. The two leagues were unable to get together, although they did try for quite a while. Uh, Had they solved these differences, they would have been the major league. Now, what happened was, the american western leagues were talking merger into one big league to be known as the american hockey league and the nhl was declaring that they had no reason or need or inclination to expand when the nhl got wind of what was in the wind of what was in the wind actually they reversed their field and on march 11 1965 announced that they were going to double in size from 6 to 12 teams Now, the AHL and WHL did play an interlocking schedule in 1965-66, and during the summer of 66, tried again to work out a merger, even without the Pittsburgh, San Francisco, and Los Angeles franchises. But the NHL had control of too many teams by that point, and the two minor circuits were squashed in their attempt to rebel against the NHL monolith. That's how the NHL and the WHL and WHA nearly ended up in a bitter feud, which would have probably resulted in an NFL versus AFL type of scenario. But that didn't happen. Could happen in the future, though, couldn't it? So that's our coverage of the big expansion announcement to bring uh, Buffalo and Vancouver into the NHL for 1970-71. Now we'll move on to this week's news and notes. We have a few things to go over. Uh, Rod Gilbert of the New York Rangers scored his 400th NHL point this week. Jacques LePerriere of the Montreal Canadiens was suspended three games for pushing both referee Bill Friday and linesman Pat Shetler after getting a high-sticking penalty from uh, Bill Friday during a game against the Boston Bruins. Dorothy Ballard, wife of Toronto Maple Leafs executive Harold Ballard, passed away suddenly in the early morning hours of December 2nd at Wellesley Hospital in Toronto. Safe to say Dorothy was much more loved than Harold was. Bruins goalie Eddie Johnson says that Bobby Orr's slap shot has improved so much this season that is now equal to or better than that of Bobby Hull of the Blackhawks. Orr continues to lead the NHL in scoring, an unheard of feat for a defenseman at this advanced stage of any NHL season. Rangers goalie Terry Sawchuck was injured in a practice after a collision with teammate Real Lemieux. Terry was street treated at a Long Island hospital for a be- very badly bruised leg and he'll miss an undetermined amount of time. Toronto Maple Leafs scouts are keeping a close eye on University of Minnesota goalie Murray McLaughlin, with whom they have become very impressed. Coach Glenn Somner of the university says that Murray McLaughlin is the best goalie playing college hockey in the USA. That's, of course, now that Ken Dryden has graduated to the pros, or at least the national team. Philadelphia Flyers called up right winger Simone Nolay from the AHL Quebec Aces and sent winger Dick Sarazen back down to the Aces. Nolay is the American League's second leading scorer with 13 goals, 18 assists, and only 21 games for the Aces. The Flyers, as we've spoken about, have a woeful offense, and Nolay maybe can spark their uh, attack. Ricky. Right wing Mike Corrigan scored his first NHL goal this week in the L.A. Kings win over Oakland on December 2nd. And here's a kind of a neat little uh, piece that we came across. Pittsburgh Pirates of the American Baseball League's third baseman Richie Hebner, who was considered a good pro hockey prospect, was skating this week with the Penguins in Pittsburgh. Uh, Brian Watson was talking a lot to uh, Hebner. When he found out Hebner is a grave digger in his off season. Watson asked him how deep he digs the grave. Hebner replied, six feet, but only four feet if it's cold. Now it's time for this week's Hockey Personality of the Week. Uh, we thought it was most fitting this week to select a person who's probably most instrumental in the uh, expansion that we've talked about this week, and that's the man who brought professional National Hockey League to the city of Buffalo, Seymour H. Knox III. Neil McCarl, sports writer with the Toronto Star, profiled mr knox and we'll give you a bit of his article from this week neil writes the first thing you notice when you walk into the office of seymour knox the third is a picture on his desk of three youngsters in hockey uniforms my three sons he explains proudly we have a great community minor hockey program we have more youngsters playing minor hockey in Buffalo area than in any other city in the u s and that includes Minneapolis. I know what it's like to get up and get boys to six a m practice on a Sunday morning. He adds with a lot of paternal pride, so right away you know that Seymour and his brother Northrop, principal owners of Buffalo's new franchise in the National Hockey League, have more than a passing interest in the game. Seymour and Northrup, he goes by Norty most of the time, have a background of sports dating back to Ivy League competition when they both attended Yale. Seymour plays squash, is past president of the United States Squash Rackets Association and a three-time U.S. court tennis champion. Norty's captain of the United States polo team and he enjoys an eight-goal ranking 10 is the top you can get, and the best American player is a 9. He's also past president of the United States Polo Association. Now, both of the guys played hockey at Yale. Nordy was a second-string netminder, Seymour was a center, and he gave it up after breaking a leg. Now, as far as going into the uh, Buffalo hockey uh, idea. It all started when they worked with Reg Taylor, who was the backer of the Buffalo franchise in the Continental Baseball League. Now, you may not know what the Con- Continental League was, but it was an ill fated third major league started by legendary baseball executive Branch Rickey. It never quite got off the ground but a lot of people feel it was responsible for the New York Mets eventually getting a major league expansion franchise. Now, about five years ago, Fred Hunt, who is the general manager of the American Hockey League Buffalo Bisons, advised Seymour during a golf game, of all things, that an application had been made on behalf of Buffalo for a franchise in the National Hockey League when it expanded, and Freddie asked Seymour if he was interested. Seymour says, I felt there was a big void in Buffalo in terms of major league sports. We had only one big league uh, team, that was football, and the owner was an absentee owner who might decide to move the franchise any time. I felt it was something, a hockey franchise, that would be very good for the community. Now everybody knows Buffalo was passed over the first time they tried to join the league. But when Oakland's NHL franchise ran into financial problems, the Knox brothers actually got involved in hockey, acquiring a controlling interest in the team. What we had in mind, Seymour says, was to transfer the Oakland franchise to Buffalo, but the Board of Governors of the National Hockey League shot that down right away. I was appointed alternate governor for the team, and I still am the SEALs alternate governor. Interesting situation. After we decided to divest ourselves of a controlling interest, although we still retain stock 20%, which we're going to have to sell to comply with the league regulations. We don't want to be like the late Jim Norris with an interest in several teams. That was when the National Hockey League's nickname was the Norris House League. That would never happen again. We're not in this just for fun, he assures, although we hope it will be fun to be in it. I certainly feel that being in the Eastern Division with Toronto will be a help because it sets up a certain natural rivalry. Naturally, they'll have a big edge to start, but we will catch up. I don't think we'll get as much from the expansion draft as the six original expansion teams got in the first go-round. Obviously, We've got to try to build for the future to take the best young players we can and hope to build an organization that eventually can create a winner. The Knoxes have several other partners in the deal, but they haven't named them as of yet anyway, and they don't estimate how much it would cost them before their team, which still doesn't have a name, takes to the ice in the 70-71 season. They intend to purchase the AHL Buffalo franchise and operate it in another city as a farm team. A big thing in our favor, the sports fans in our area are oriented to hockey, says Seymour. They know the big names and they want to see them. The kids play hockey and they will sell their parents on the game. A lot of our hockey fans from Buffalo have been able to get tickets to see the Maple Leafs in Toronto. Now they'll be able to see them here and we'll try and take care of those people from Toronto, Hamilton, St. Catharines and the Niagara area who can't get tickets to see the Leafs and as I mentioned, I was one of them. We'll try for a majority of home dates on Sundays, explained Robert Swados, who was the lawyer for uh, the Knox group. The Leafs play midweek games on Wednesdays, so we'll try another night. According to our surveys, the penetration of the Buffalo market by all outside markets is only going to be about 3%. Now, the most immediate problem is getting civic approval for the expansion of Memorial Auditorium to the NHL minimum of 15000 The estimated cost, as has been reported in several areas, is $4.5 million. And what they're going to have to basically do with the rink is raise the roof and put on another tier of seats. Already, the mayor and 14 of the 15 counselors have, uh, have given assent to this plan. Now Memorial Auditorium was built in 1940, and at present, just as the uh, expansion franchise has been granted, it seats 9,800 people. It is in really good condition, and there's no pillars that would uh, obscure anybody's view. Uh, the roof would have to be raised about 22 feet, and uh, the whole a uh, whole balcony section would be added. Uh, Other things that would be uh, improved would be the lights, the time clock, and the concession facilities in the rink. If you've been to an AHL game, as I have been uh, in the odd, you know that those things really need to be brought up to NHL standards. Both Seymour and his brother give full credit to their father for stressing the value of sportsmanship and teamwork in their upbringing and their approach to business and how they obtained the National Hockey League franchise. Seymour quotes his dad, Winners never quit, quitters never win. That's why we had the perseverance and finally were rewarded in getting a National Hockey League franchise for Buffalo. That's Seymour H. Knox III, This week's Hockey Personality of the Week. So that's this week's episode. And wow, talk about information overload for one episode. We hope we haven't given you too much to absorb here, but there's just so much we felt was important to address. What a week it was in hockey. The big news of the expansion, I know at that time 50 years ago, it blew me away. I can't tell you how excited I was. So what did we learn today? Well, pretty simple this week. We learned that finally Vancouver and Buffalo are in the NHL for good. We learned that both new teams had an almost unlimited list of candidates for their front office and coaching posts and that some writers had pretty good crystal balls on who was going to go where. We also learned just how revered the Knox family is in Buffalo and how richly deserved uh, that that reverence is. Next week, we'll return with a more regular show with the usual on-ice developments as the new teams get down to business of building their hockey organizations and the existing teams get on with the hockey season. Some of the stories we're working on include the tour of Canada's national hockey team in Europe, another ominous sign that injuries are going to be a constant problem for Bobby Orr, And a trade takes place between the Maple Leafs and Boston Bruins. Plus, we have much, much more. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. Our intro music comes to us courtesy of the Rural Alberta Advantage and other musical pieces are by Andy Cole as well. Our stories are compiled with files from the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail and of course the many publications found at newspapers.com. You can find us on Twitter at at At1969HockeyNews and on Facebook under 50 Years Ago in Hockey and at our WordPress site Hockey50YearsAgo.com. And if you like good music and good conversation while you're waiting for next week's episode, have a listen to the Let's Write a Song podcast by Andy Cole. Each week, Andy and a guest have some interesting conversation and also write and perform a completely new musical song. It's a lot of fun and uh, is something really that I think everybody should listen to. Thanks so much for joining us this week, everyone. We'll see you next time. When the ice spray.